will go on and indulge me one more time. I guess if you want to attribute blame for one more reference to Judy Garland and the Wizard of Oz in a sermon by me, you can blame a book I've been reading recently, which is Susie Boyd's My Judy Garland Life. And in that book, she recounts about how at significant moments in her life, she was able to identify with or find solace with the Judy Garland story. Every relationship breakdown, and there was Judy Garland with a torch song. Every struggle with food, and there was Judy with her own experiences. Every difficult decision, well, sure, the CD could always play, forget your troubles, come on, get happy. Yet, there is something for us to learn here this morning, and I don't think it's stretching it too far to say that the Wizard of Oz does have something to teach us about maturity, which is the theme that we've been encountering time and time again in the book of Ephesians. At least, if not maturity, maybe the wrong kind of maturity. For the characters in The Wizard of Oz to get what they've been looking for, a brain, a heart, courage, or to simply get home, all they have to do is set off down a yellow brick road singing a happy tune. And maybe even for one character, she didn't even have to go on that journey because we discover at the end all she had to do was click her heels three times and she would have found herself at home at any stage. Yet, I'm sure for many of us who have experienced anything in life, we can see that maturity and growing up seems more like a car crash than a stroll down a yellow brick road. We once again find ourselves in the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves once again at another one of these transition points. I urge you, I think today's new NIV said, or some translations say, therefore. It hinges on the word therefore. We move from looking at who God is and what he does to who we are and what we do. But the transition isn't abrupt because in resurrection living, we can't separate the being of God from the being human. The practice of resurrection rather puts them together. Even though we live in a world that would rather at times tear them apart. Resurrection living unites them because they were never supposed to be separated. We saw that time and time again as we have journeyed through this book. Everything around us is gift. God is in on everything and Christ and the church are linked. Therefore, Church, then, is the appointed time and place of the conversation between the two beings, between God and his people. The world around us this morning may call what we're doing here wasted time. We live in a world that measures productivity by how much you can get out of every hour. I wonder how much value the business experts would place on what we are doing here this morning. Wasted time, special time, or holy time. God created the church, and it is his gift to us. 
one of the ways in which God has a conversation with us and church welcomes us just as we are. Church at its simplest and most obvious is a protected place. An available time to have a conversation with us, for God to have a conversation with us, and for us to have a conversation with him in the midst and company of God's people. Chances are, if you go to church, there's usually a point in the service where you're asked to introduce yourself to a total stranger, maybe over tea and coffee uh, at the end of our service. No words filled me more with fear or dread when I was visiting churches and was asked, turn to the person beside you and tell them something about yourself. Where do you start? Or my personal favorite, if you're new here this morning, why don't you stand up? (laughs) What do you do with that? Can I pretend I've been here before? I don't know. Icebreaker questions, another fear of mine. I'm sure tea and coffee won't be like that for you over there this morning. But the point is this. What if churches this morning, and this is quite scary, rather than turning to us and saying, tell us something about yourself, said, turn to the person beside you and tell them a sin you're secretly struggling with? That would be even more scary. Would we run out the door? and never return? Or do we believe that church is a safe place to offload the massive burdens of our deepest secrets? We all carry sin and pain into church every week. And no matter what we do to try and keep our secrets or our attempts at masking them, the weight of it always is too much. Good news this morning. Church is at a place where it is safe, a place to share secrets without fear or judgment or abandonment, not with total strangers over an icebreaker question at tea and coffee, but in the community of a few friends, a small group, and loving leaders. Gordon MacDonald said these words, unfortunately our society abounds with men and women caught in golden cages driven to accumulate, to be recognized, or to achieve. Our churches, unfortunately, abound with these driven people as well. Many churches are fountains gone dry. Rather than being springs of life-giving energy that cause us to grow and to delight in God's way, they become sources of stress. Church, as defined in our reading, is a place where we can be honest with each other, where we can carry each other's burdens, a place where vulnerability is encouraged rather than discouraged, though at the same time it is so much more. It's huge. Of course, God speaks and acts wherever he wills, But where we are this morning, we have a place, we have a specific time in which we can cultivate the presence of God. The gospel message that seems so simple as we sit here on a Sunday morning suddenly develops complications 
as we enter the workplace on a Monday. Our families seem to muddy the waters further, and what seemed so clear and outlined and ordered on a blackboard while we were sitting in a classroom suddenly becomes confused. Let me flick back a couple of chapters in Peterson's Practicing Resurrection, which is the book uh, for anyone who is visiting with us that we're using to guide our way through the book of Ephesians. Peterson has this to say about maturity. For parents, birth is marked by joy and wonder and accompanied by birth, announcements, and gifts. The details, sparse as they are, 21 inches, uh, 6 pounds 10, name Jonathan, are received with awed reverence. The euphoria of birth lasts a few weeks, but not indefinitely. Growth is marked with fatigue, anxiety, panic late-night calls to the doctor, worried teacher conferences, puzzling over adolescents' behavior or misbehavior. Birth is quick and easy. Peterson has in brackets here, or at least it seems that way to fathers. Growth is endless and complex. Becoming mature this morning means refusing to live a reduced life. Church for Paul is not just something that we turn up here and we do on a Sunday morning in order for our eternal state to be secured. Rather, there is more. There is risk. Once you're given a gift, which the church is, you don't leave it in its wrapping paper and then forever wonder what's inside. Yes, I'm going to say that C word again. Think Christmas. Presents around trees. Some lying there for weeks, others arriving on the day itself, all nicely wrapped, and oh, the agony as we wait to see what it is that we're getting. Oh, the pains and the lengths we go to to try and guess what is inside of the wrapping paper. Then the moment arrives, the ripping of the paper, the opening of the present, and more importantly, the putting it to work. So it is with church. Paul makes it clear. We have a calling to which we have been called. A calling gives us a sense of destination. It determines the direction we move in. It controls what we may may or may not do. How our behavior is shaped. The call this morning simply shapes our life. Thanks to Peterson, I also learned this week that the root of the Greek word, I'm not going to do this often, the root of the Greek of calling is church. Of course, to the Greeks, it didn't have the same connotations that it has to us in the tradition we have grown up in. But it did mean a gathering together of people, men and women, who have been called together in a particular place. A particular people for a particular time, as Steve would often say. We, each one of us that sit on a seat this morning or stand at a front, are a particular people for a particular time. From the kids out the back, to the teenagers in Bible class in number 26, to the eldest person here. 
God's call and our individual call fuse together into what it means to be church. In Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, we are given a list that unify the church. One body, one spirit, one hope for our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father. Truths that unite us here this morning as individual believers. Then we see in verse 13, there is a higher unity that Paul speaks of, that we are to come to the unity of attaining the knowledge of the Son of God. As we grow in understanding God and his word, so we understand the priorities of our faith that unify us. The church needs to grow as a mature body. An infant's body is held together by the same things as an adult's body. It is the same muscles, the same bones, the same skin, the same organs, the same senses. But it has no self-awareness, no strengths, or no coordination. The infant hasn't used to learn to use its hands together to accomplish tasks, to swing its legs together to walk, or to combine thoughts or to write essays. The adult's body, while no different in structure, is stronger and has learned how to use its limbs and systems together to carry out tasks. As Christians, we are unified whether we like it or not. But we have the choice as to whether that unity will be clumsy, infantile unity, or whether it would be a unity of strength, coordination, and maturity. If Christ is the head of the church this morning, let's not stick him in the body of a child because he's already been there once. Individuality this morning in church is given dignity. But in our individuality, there is a dependency. This is why the unity that we've been talking about is so important. But maturity is not the hallmark of our culture. So in the words of Peterson, it is hardly surprising that we find people willing to sell us all kinds of maps to a better life than the one we are currently living. Maps to financial security. Maps to sexual gratification. Maps to music appreciation. Maps to athletic prowess. Maps to a better car. Maps to a better job. Maps to a better education or a better vocation or vacation. But surprise, there are no maps to a mature life and there are no maps to a mature life in Christ. Of course, church this morning is not ideal. It was never intended to be, uh, be, intended to be a gathering for the nicest people in time. Remember two weeks ago we were talking about that idea of messy church, about how it is the church's mission to reach out to everyone, all walks of life, bring them all in. As Peterson would say, God is not fussy about the kind of company he keeps. There are sinners aplenty. There are hypocrites 
in droves. There are ill-mannered and unwashed. In church, we find ourselves among Christians at various stages of growth. Toddlers not yet out of nappies, children innocent and pure in the discovery of what it means to be a child of God, adolescents who are in turns enthusiastic and then rebellious, young mothers and fathers who are struggling to come to terms with what it means to have the responsibility of parenthood. Midlifers who got distracted years ago by life, by work, by a job, by family, and are now looking for what they feel they missed, hoping it's not too late. The elderly facing death in a culture that denies it. And we're back where we started. A little girl getting swept away from her home in Kansas. But the reality is that to gain maturity, to grow to maturity in Christ, there is no yellow brick road. Rather, it involves considerable difficulties that cannot be bulldozed away. Yet, we have a space here this morning to help us work it out. Let us still ourselves, silence ourselves. I'm going to play a track by the killers, and then I'm going to come back and read our reading again, just as we seek what is God saying to us about maturity? What is God saying to us about unity? What is God saying to us about diversity? What is God saying to us about dignity? What is God saying Fitzroy looks like in the future? Let's still ourselves. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, 
tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become every respect, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let us pray. Father, once again, we are challenged about what it means to be church, what it means to be church here in Botanic, what it means to be church here in our city, what it means to be church here in our country. In the reading, we have seen how unity is so important. Father, would you give us a united heart? Would you lay on our minds what it is that you are calling us to do, whether that be as individuals or whether that be as a church? We're challenged by the fact that we all have a calling. Help us this morning to attain the full measure of the fullness of Christ, life in all its fullness. Amen.